So welcome everyone to this episode of the Conscious Shift series in the Legacy Life podcast. I am very excited to be talking to Louise Day today, um, partly because I've had a little gap with um, recording episodes for this podcast and this episode has just flowed, it has just dropped in off the back of, um, I was watching a program the other day called Inside Our Autistic Minds, um, which, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that during the episode as well. Um, but, you know, I come across parents who are asking themselves, either overtly asking themselves or or other people or or in the background that those thoughts are going on is, is my child neurodiverse? You know, is there something I need to know? Is there something going on with them that needs extra support or different knowledge to, to what I have? Or, you know, how can I support my child be fully themselves be? Yeah. And, um, and often that comes from quite challenging behavior that is going on. So welcome, welcome, Louise. It's great Thank to have you. you. Thanks for having me on. It's so great to have you come on. I know we've been talking about doing this for ages, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> Probably about six months. Yeah. So it's great to finally do this. So, um, Louise, tell us um, who you are and 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 what what you do, so people get an understanding of who, yeah who you are really. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Louise. I'm a mum of two. One of my sons is going through an autism diagnosis. He's five, and for the last fourteen years, I've worked with children with various disabilities, non-speaking children, children who are autistic have learning disabilities. And then about 10 years ago, I trained as a speech and language therapist. Um, so I've been working since then uh, in special schools, in the NHS, in various settings, um, really, really focused on autistic children and non-speaking children. And then about 18 months ago, decided to you know go out myself, create my own private practice to really help a small kind of amount of families in a really intensive focused way. Um, and I've really focused on non-speaking children. That's my passion. That's where I feel I can help the most. Um, and I've helped children sort of under the age of five and their uh, parents. I help their parents feel really confident about helping their child, about helping their child make progress, about understanding their child. Um, and I really help the child to find a means to express themselves. Brilliant. Oh, it's it's so great to have you on and be able to chat with you today and find out more about your experience um, with um, pre-verbal and, and non-verbal children and things that parents can do. And I, because I knew I was going to be interviewing you, I just wanted to give people an opportunity within my community and some of the communities I hang out in Um an opportunity to ask a couple, ask a question. So I've got a couple of questions for you today as well, which is great. Yeah. Um, and for the, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Sarah Parks. I'm the host of this this podcast, and I realise I have, haven't introduced myself. And um, I work with families. I work with parents. Um, 
to really help you create the family life you truly desire and work with those family dynamics. And unlike Louise, I I work with people from, you know, roughly around age two, their children often are when they come to me, to into adulthood. So I I don't specialize in a specific age group. So I work across all age groups. So, um, and one of the things that I'm really, I love to do is to meet amazing people like you who I can confidently refer to, you know, for, for my parents that have, you know, particular challenges going on. And so I'm so excited about this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think that's the amazing thing. I've noticed since being self-employed that, you know, just the networks out there and all the different professionals that Mm -hmm. work with parents and that support children and, the amazing people you get to meet and kind of learnings that you have outside of an organization is is amazing so yeah it's so cool isn't it so one of the quotes that that came up for me yesterday when I was thinking about this interview um and I remember coming across this and just because I've worked in the area of communication for a long long time um and is that seven percent of communication is through words and 55%, 55% people is body language. And then you've also got tone of voice. And I think what people think about with the tone of voice is they link that to words. But of course, you can not use words and still have a tone of voice, right? Absolutely. And so I think there's I think there's a lot of um, you know, this this is the conscious shift series, right? And I think when I look at the world, there's a shift, big shift that I think needs to happen in terms of awareness, in terms of education, and in terms of how people think about communication, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And I've had to make that big shift myself Mm. Um, as a parent and as a speech and language therapist. um, I think just learning more about you know, inclusive societies and what's called neurodiversity affirming society, mm-hmm. um, which is really what we aim to to have. And and I know we've had this discussion before about various labels and where people sit in their feelings about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very individual. Um, but absolutely, you know, just accepting differences, celebrating differences and mm-hmm. recognizing differences um, and that there's not one way to communicate or one way to see the world or one way to connect you know it's it's very unique to that person and that family mm. and that uh, yeah uh, you know you you mentioning that the the program that I watched the other day have you did, did you see it as well oh, yeah. yeah inside our autistic minds it's on the BBC if anybody's wanting to f- go find that uh with uh Chris Packham and yeah the so Murray who was uh one of the people in that who um it's interesting because obviously he doesn't he he can't use words to speak but obviously I was just so moved and so um what an advocate actually for um yeah people who who are in that situation where they they can't necessarily speak because the assumption is so bit about my background is I've worked um I used to work as a communication support worker 
using sign the BSL sign language and you know that the assumption if somebody doesn't speak it often and and in our history right and so with deaf history deaf and dumb is what people mm. used to they're deaf and dumb yeah. is how people were viewed and so that assumption that somebody is stupid or not intelligent if they don't speak right so um, so that that is massive and yeah uh it was so that that part of the program was just was just amazing and all that like I said that body language that communication that is happening that when you open up and you open your awareness you get to see that and you get to see that from your child so um I mean I I use sign language because of my background with my children from when they were babies yeah so they signed before they could speak yeah and so actually I've got a question from a lady and one of the things you know she'd started using sign language with her child and um because they weren't signing back like it yeah it's this thing of when you talk like when we start talking to our children we um they don't talk back for ages absolutely but but we don't assume well they're not going to talk or there's something wrong if they're not talking back to us yet right yeah so um I'll ask I'll I'll go to this first question because I think it kind of fits in with where we are so uh, so Ellen Ward asked this question in Edinburgh Under Fives, which is where I I put my uh, invitation to ask questions. And following from watching Chris Packham's first episode, how would you start in finding ways of communicating? E.g., do you try sign language first? Which sign language? How do you know if it's working? What, there's lots of questions here, actually. <laughs> when do you try something different, like flashcards or technology? E.g., when my son was pre-talking, I tried signing, Makaton, but I had no clue if he understood as he never signed back or indicated he got what I was trying to say. After a couple of weeks, he signed to my sister who was babysitting him, but he never signed to me. So it was going in, but for some reason he never responded to me. I've just noticed reading that, that she said a couple of weeks, like a couple of weeks is nothing. Mm-hmm. Can I just say mm-hmm. a couple of weeks is nothing. Yeah. So that's the first thing in terms of expecting a response. Um, but anyway, I'll let you pick out some aspects of that to respond to. <laughs> no, great question, though. Absolutely. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, and isn't it interesting that he used um, the sign to communicate with another family member? Because actually, maybe he feels like he is completely understood by you. He's able to use body language or gesture or you as your his mum is able to anticipate his needs. Um, so actually what a great tool to teach him that then he's been really clever about thinking I'm going to actually use a sign um, with my auntie because she maybe doesn't know what, what I'm wanting. Um, that's but such yeah. a good point. That's such a good point. It reminds me of my daughter doing the same thing, like with her yeah. grandmother not understanding her. And yeah. then, then she, you know, so she tried saying the thing and then she didn't understand. So she tried signing the thing. She didn't understand. So she tried something else, you know, it's yeah. like, Yes, absolutely. The only slightly limiting thing about signing in that context is that if the person you're signing to doesn't know the sign, then that becomes difficult, doesn't it? Because then they've got to get in touch with the signer and say, like, who, you know, what what did they mean when they said this or when they signed this? Mm. Um, But I I guess 
I like to think of the, the way that I work is I have a sort of toolbox of various different approaches um, that include sign, um, using and interpreting the child's body language, facial expression, any natural non-verbal communication they have. Mm. And also in the programme, you saw Murray used um, alphabet printed letter boards on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, he used a voice output aid where he typed and then it would form sentences and um, speak it out for them. So, you know, I try different approaches with a child um, and also have kind of backups in terms of technology and, and things that are not so technological mm-hmm. um, for that child. So it is a bit of trial and error, but it is also giving things time, um, mm. you know, because obviously with the signing, that's a few weeks. So it's kind of trying to manage expectations and think, well, you know, how long will I set? Will I set six months? Will I set a year? Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be working with a speech and language therapist to, you know, set those goals and think, you know, how long are we going to give this? But I think also um, is that in terms of the results, you know, I think we do want to see results and we want to see the child sign in. The parents that I work with want to see the child using their communication device or book straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not always going to be the result. It's sometimes going to be that you are modeling lots to your child and showing your child how to communicate and that the child's learning and understanding, but that you might not instantly see the child use that approach. So mm. it can take lots of time. It can be that the child never chooses to use that approach, but it's not that you've wasted your time because you've built up language there. You've supported them mm. with their attention. You know, you've, you've supported lots of sort of cognitive skills with them. Um, and really kind of try to aid them if they're struggling to speak. You know, you're trying different things. So nothing's ever really time wasted, I wouldn't say. That's such a good point. You know, I think it's so important for people to know that it's it's cumulative, isn't it? And everything is su- supporting each other, really, all those different different aspects that you mentioned there. So, um, yeah, I'm just thinking what else did she ask in there? Yeah, so you covered finding ways and sign language. What type of sign language she she mentioned there? Do you have any thoughts about that? So, um, in terms of a child, like a, a child who who's maybe like a baby or a toddler, there are sort of baby sign language mm. and toddler sign language um, classes that you can attend. But there's also two sort of key ones that I've come across, which are sign along and Makaton. Um, so I know that she mentioned that she used Makaton and it doesn't really matter which one you choose. Um, typically, unless there's any sort of hearing differences, you probably wouldn't use BSL because um, it's more of a language. You wouldn't use it in its full entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be more amongst the deaf community and people who you know have hearing differences. So sign along or Makaton and Mr. Tumble uses Makaton. So I suppose it's just making sure if your child watches Mr. Tumble and is copying those signs that you then try to explore Makaton as opposed to kind of mix and sign along in Makaton and trying to stay kind of consistent within that system. But they're both very similar um, and are quite easy hand shapes to do. Um, They've been simplified for people um, who might have like motor difficulties or um, a learning disability. Um, So, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the um, the they even when you use a particular sign, you, you know, because I signed with my both my children, my eldest more so actually than my youngest. Um, 
and I I went to like a a, 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 a sing along class. They used BSL actually at that particular class mm-hmm. that I went to, mm-hmm. and obviously with using BSL myself, I use BSL with my mm-hmm. British Sign Language that is BSL uh, with my um with with my daughter, but they they develop their own signs as well. So this is the thing, their, their version of a sign will look different. And I, I remember when at age one, my eldest went to, to nursery and I literally wrote down, these are all the words, these are the signs, this is what they look like, this is how she does them um, to hand over. That They weren't quite as, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that I don't think they really signed with her and I think she just... Um, but her vocabulary was quite large for a one-year-old really because she signed but I think maybe she just I'm not sure how open they were to that really because I was like well just ask her she'll tell you was my view because I knew she had quite a large vocabulary in sign language more than probably in speaking but anyway yeah it's fascinating it really is (laughs) yeah so but but yeah they so they have their own versions so you know it won't necessarily look exactly like the signs anyway you know yeah um absolutely. but it's like having that openness and 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 noticing it is that it because in my work I talk about listening like the basis of everything that I do is about listening and understanding and observing your child at communicating with your child right but listening isn't just about ears it's not just about what you hear listening is actually observing as well like there's there's a whole picture not just um the words they say but their their body language is a massive part their tone of voice or you know what they're they're breathing they're you know if they're or a you know, you can see when somebody relaxes, you can hear when they relax, you can see if they're annoyed, you can hear in their breathing, they're annoyed, you know, there's so much in terms of communication that is visual that we can see, we can feel and there's a whole energetic aspect as well, which, you know, uh, I think a lot is something I'm talking more and more about these days as well, which is, yeah, like trusting that that sense so I think sometimes when if people don't get a word or something like that or a sign for instance they might not notice that they're picking up other communication because it doesn't look how we've been taught that communication should look right yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely I know I I do try and talk to parents as much about that as possible using their intuition as well because it's fascinating how a parent you know knows that when a child looks a certain way that it means that they want something from the kitchen or and it can just be so subtle and you just think it is isn't it so subtle yeah absolutely um but yeah like you know empowering that parent to know that actually you know you know your child really well your child knows themselves really well and yeah you know you giving them that power you know and and you know, I know myself as a parent, I've given my power away to other professionals thinking uh-huh. they'll be able to tell me what's best for my child. They'll know, they'll have the answers. But actually, you know, me and my son are really, really have the answers together. You do. And I want to just emphasize that, you know, and you know your child best. Like if you're listening to this, just hear that again. You know your child best. No expert does. They don't spend the time with them to know them as well as you do. They don't. 
And I think it's important to use support and use experts to inform what you are doing with your child. But at the end of the day, you are the expert and there are people like like Louise here, like lots of people who can support you. But, you know, part of um, part of our role as parents is a leadership role in your family, you know, and to and I think I think a lot of people don't necessarily see themselves as that. You know, people will say, I'm just a mum, right? So you are. Yeah, I think that this this aspect of really getting what an incredible role it is as a parent, but also just how much knowledge and understanding that you have of your family, like yeah. nobody else has that and ever will and or ever can. Absolutely. So you're amazing, <laughs> everyone. Do a dance yeah. and go, I'm amazing, I'm amazing, yeah, I'm amazing. Because you are, you truly are. So I've got another question for us. Um, and this is a great one from Dandy Rose in my How to Talk to Kids Will Listen UK group, um, which is my my free parenting group that I have. I'd love to know if there are precursory signs of a meltdown that the untrained eye cannot detect, specifically in neurodiverse children. I've thought about this a lot, but meltdowns just appear seemingly out of nowhere i'm wondering if this is straw breaks camel's back territory and if so can it be avoided child is verbal and articulate but only three yeah really good question Mm. and perfectly linking into what we just said you know Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting like untrained eye and that Uh sometimes people believe that you know i would be able to see more about their child than they will yeah, and sometimes I do point things out like, oh, actually, I think, you know, they're they're using this to communicate and let's, you know, build on that. Absolutely. Sometimes I do notice things, but mm. the, the parent will have subconsciously noticed that and just not kind of, um, you know, received it yet. But what I'm trying to say, <laughs> let me think, what I'm trying to say is that, OK, so there will be possibly signs that are going on. Mm-hmm. Yes, many children will um, go into meltdown very, very quickly. Some it will build up. For some, it could be reacting to something in that moment. So it could be the bright lights. It could be the fact that they know that something's about to change in the environment or you've missed a step in the normal routine. Mm -hmm. I suppose it's waiting until that event's over and then maybe just looking back and thinking like, was there anything about that 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 might have unsettled my child? Was it anything to do with sound, anything they saw, anything to do with the routine? did something end like did I turn the tv off and they were quite enjoying that you know it, it could be obvious it could be really not obvious at all um and I suppose in terms of autistic children there can be you know um signs that you know they're they're getting into distress so it might be repeat sort of repetitive movements that they they might do it might be um so they're called stimming behaviors mm-hmm. um and they might maybe do something like um flap their hands they might put their hands over their eyes or squeeze their um their eyes shut. I know my son often squeezes his eyes shut. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly maybe if we have to have a conversation with him about something, you know, that wasn't okay that he that he did. Um, so it'll be very, very individual to your child, the things that they'll do. They might, you know, shake their head or make a certain noise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is really, really individual and it's just 
spending that time observing, like Sarah talked about, and just, you know, we live in this really busy world where we kind of run about and we get the kids out the door and we do this and we do that. But even just spending a few minutes a day just sitting with your child, what does it look like when they're calm? What does it look like when they're happy and enjoying something? Mm. What does it look like, you know, when they're distressed? And just mm. seeing if you can pick up on any of those subtle sort of non-verbal, because um, it, it probably it probably will be non-verbal. Yes. So when a child's going into distress, they probably won't have access to speech and, and language. So mm. um, despite your child being verbal, it'll probably be a subtle non-verbal. So, you're, I mean, the, the parent's already aware they are. You know, that's the first stage, isn't it? That awareness, they're already aware. Like, are there actually some things he's doing that I could identify quite quickly? Um, so, so if, yeah, so have a list, have a look at that, what, what Louise has said, you know, have a look at, because you know, you do actually know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have seen it and, and you know, like Louise says, it can be quick, that, that change. You know, I've I I see I see it in in my household as well, particularly with my my youngest daughter. You know, when there's a change in the routine or a change in the structure, like unexpected changes, mm-hmm. it is very difficult. And so, you know, can go from absolutely fine to really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, you know. I think. Um. I think often parents want to avoid those big emotions at all costs. And that, you know, I, I talk about this uh, a lot. And so I have this program called Four Steps to Help Your Child Manage Their Big Emotions, where we really break down bit by bit, looking at what your um, what your automatic reactions are that actually might be adding fuel to the fire, for instance, because there are certain things that we do that can be, unhelpful that we don't realize we're doing so it's like uncovering those things that are hidden from our view you know that are common things that that parents do like we all do them so and seeing that and having the knowledge and replacing that is massive um but yeah to, to 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 check in with and see how how that is um but also to that it's okay if your child gets upset like you haven't done anything wrong right mm-hmm. it's part of being human having emotions and responding in different ways so i what i always say is the goal isn't to to stop your child getting upset it's mm-hmm. not to stop them having a meltdown it's mm-hmm. to support them for it to move through for whatever needs to be expressed to get expressed yeah. Um, to allow them to move back to that place of equilibrium with themselves, you know. So um, because I think we can as parents end up walking on eggshells trying to prevent, yeah. you know, having prevention of as the goal. And, you know, and it's great to reduce, you know, it's exhausting if you're having lots of that happening. Mm-hmm. So it's great to be able to reduce that down, but we, we all get upset we're all going to get upset at some point we we all have uh feel overwhelmed or uh, you know have meltdowns or you know as adults we we do as well you know so so I think that is so important to say that it's it's not about stopping the feelings it's about allowing them it's about holding space for them yeah 
to move through and to happen yeah yeah I really like that answer as well I was I was totally thinking along those lines you know of of my own lessons about my child you know my son and some of the you know the things that really I found quite uncomfortable you know when he was throwing things around the room or or hitting you know his sibling and and it just really like triggered a part of me almost but Mm -hmm. you know when when I heard somebody say like your child's in distress you know and there's a reason why you know he's doing this he's not challenging you know you're finding it challenging and he's actually distressed or you know what's the emotion behind that is he frustrated is he you know is he anxious like what's going on um Mm. it really really helped me actually and it helped take the focus off me like I've done something wrong this is my fault which Mm -hmm. I hear so often with parents you know it's your fault your child's being you know they're in a human body human yeah yeah your child is being human yeah totally yeah so one of the I've got some questions I always ask on this um podcast series or mostly ask which is how do you feel you're contributing to a shift in consciousness when it comes to the the field that you work in so I really see my role as you know supporting other people educators professionals you know to develop more inclusive practice to shift you know their mindset in terms of what's this normal sort of approach versus you know we're all different this this mm-hmm. diverse society mm-hmm. um, and and I think we've still got you know a, a while to go in that journey you know it's a journey um you know shifting parents mindsets and beliefs about you know there's there's not something wrong with your child and there's not something wrong with what you've done um you know your child sees the world in a different way and you know ha- maybe has a slightly different kind of brain processing um pattern but you know that your child's different they're not there's nothing wrong um so you know it's it's becoming yeah it's becoming more conscious of children what what's good for them listening to children you know I'm really really passionate about listening to children you know watching their play um advocating for their play and their work you know that that should really go on for a long time in their childhood Mm -hmm. Um, you know I'm involved in lots of kind of um work around increasing the school starting age because I feel that would really support children you know increasing it to seven to ensure that children have that time if they if they do have differences you know or even speech and language delays in the early years that they're given that time to kind of um you know flourish and and develop language skills and and play a lot so that they can express themselves mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah yeah there's a whole upstart campaign isn't there in in Scotland and if anybody's listening there's an episode in this um Legacy Life podcast with Sue Palmer um that you can check out it's uh it'll be quite it's about episode five something like that so go back have a look if you want to check that out around uh raising the school age and and you know the benefits of that um yeah it's um Thank you. Thank you for sharing kind of where you sit and, and ha- how you see things. Um, so what what do you think the three things that people really need to know? Is there sort of three things you could think um, that people 
need to know um, or would be helpful for them to know if they are, um, yeah, in a in a position where their their child they're at that maybe the early stages maybe where their child is is kind of nonverbal because the lady you asked the first questions or series of questions her child's 18 months old because I I asked her because I was like I don't I don't know what age this child is um yeah so what's the three bits of advice you would give people at that stage yeah um I think a lot of parents that come to me you know are really really worried and and fearful of the future and they're thinking way ahead like they're thinking my child's too but I want to know what school they're going to go to like uh-huh. I want to know if they're going to go to mainstream or a special school or if I'm going to have to look into private schools and literally parents will lie awake at night googling schools and thinking what am I going to do and that's three years away so we, we you don't know how how your child's going to develop in that time what things are going to look like if they're going to get a diagnosis if they're not you know there's so many unanswered questions so I think the first thing is just actually just starting where you're at and, and really focusing on where you are right now, because there's lots of things that we don't know. We don't know if your child will speak. You know, we're not sure what means they'll use to express themselves. But right now, what's going on for you and what can you kind of focus on right now? And that's where I kind of help with strategies and support packages and things. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the first one. And the second one kind of ties into that, which is actually everything is going to be okay, because yeah. that's what I really needed to hear as a parent. Uh-huh. You know, it was a completely different scenario, you know, supporting families who, with autistic children versus going through that journey myself as a parent without the professional hat on and being really, really worried all of a sudden that because I'd seen what families had gone through, that it can be quite challenging, that it can be emotional and also amazing and, and relieving and many things. Uh-huh. It can be teaching um, and lesson. But um, I was really, really worried. And when somebody said to me, look, it's going to be OK. Like, you're going to work this out. It's all going to, your son's going to be all right. You know, everything's going to be fine. I think just having that reassurance um, and knowing that whatever comes up in the future, you'll be able to, you know, cope with it. Um, whether that's with a bit of support or what, you know, usually support is key, obviously. Um, but yeah, so that everything's going to be okay is my number two. And number three is, you know, try to reach out and ask for, for support. Have a look at what support's available out there. Um, there's a great new charity, Stand, who's just been, it's just been set up by parents um, of neurodivergent children and children who have disabilities and mm-hmm. various communication needs. Um, and I find that really, really helpful to speak to other parents who know what I'm going through uh-huh. and who share that experience. Um, and I know the parents I work with find that really useful. Um, and it might not be, you know, it might look different support for you. It might look like, you know, having one to one support and, you know, going through some some of your own kind of beliefs and, and getting support for your own health and mental uh-huh. health. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know it might be a group or it might be a place like the yard in Edinburgh which provides you know um, a play um, an inclusive play place for you and, and your child mm-hmm. so it'll look different for different families but um, don't be afraid don't feel like you you don't deserve the support or your child's maybe not autistic enough or you know or they're but they're you know they, you are entitled to support and, and it will really really help you in your journey. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thank you. They were a great three um, bits of uh, bits of advice. 
and 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 to remember um what we talked about earlier in this conversation that remember that you are the expert remember that all of these resources all of these things are to support you and your family on your journey and because i think it's important to to remember that and come from that place actually of of remembering that that yeah that you you're you're there all the time so you get to see all the stuff so you know i really want parents to feel empowered um mm. and and to remember that because it's so key you know and i know i've i mean i've um my children have severe allergies um when they were when they were young that mostly grown out of now but you know so i've been around you know quite a lot of experts in in different ways and it, it is easy to give your power away it really is and if you do that you know be kind to yourself that you've done that as well and mm. you know come back to that place of knowing actually I you know if something doesn't feel right so I, I did a podcast episode which I will be sharing um, and in that this was a big thing that came out in that actually was if somebody's saying something to you and it doesn't sit with you and it doesn't even if they're an expert, like trust yourself because yeah. you know your child best and you know your family best, right? So if it doesn't sit right with you, it might not be the right thing, you know? Yeah. So, you know, to 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 listen to yourself, listen to your child. Uh, yeah. Oh, that feels like a really great place to finish up today. It's been amazing to have you on, Louise, and talk about these things. And I know you're currently in that place of, you know, getting a diagnosis at the moment or in that in that whole journey yourself, aren't you? Yeah. Um so all the best with with that. And I know, I know it can be incredibly positive. Um to to help to work out what what's going to best support your child right yeah absolutely yeah. thank you that was amazing so fantastic and um check out the uh show notes so there are notes below so you can find out more about louise and how you can contact her if you need any more support also how you can connect in with the support that i offer through the conscious parenting community uh, and um, the various things that I do as well. And we'll get in there some of the information that we've talked about in this episode as well. So um, we'd love to hear what you take away from this episode. What is it that you've learned today? What is it that that you'll be taking away? Do, um, you know, write, write a response or you can, you know, reach out to us as well. So thank you for listening today, everyone.